So it's interesting because my parents have seen this coming for a long time. When I was in preschool for my fourth or fifth birthday, I asked for a briefcase and I got one and I brought it to school every day. And even looking in my report cards from my teachers in that, that time in my life, uh, the note said, you know, Emily's not interested in playing house. She only wants to play business. <laughs> That's Emily Lagasse. Though she may not carry a briefcase these days, she did grow up to be an entrepreneur. Emily founded Fedwell, a natural pet food company whose products are now sold in stores across New England. As a woman starting her own business, Emily faced some challenges. I think in our culture, there's a lot of focus and glorification of a specific cookie cutter type of entrepreneur. And it's usually a young, arrogant, white male wearing a hoodie, right? I think that's kind of like the typical image of what, when people think of an entrepreneur, that's what they think of. And I think a lot of the, because a lot of uh, those type of entrepreneurs have been successful, I think a lot of the ecosystem is set up to work with those type of entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Footnote Podcast, where we seek out research and evidence to help understand stories from the world around us, like Emily's. I'm Diana Brazel. I'm the co-founder and executive editor of Footnote, an online media company where we work with academic experts to turn their research and ideas into compelling stories anyone can understand. And I'm Chris Oates. I'm a former academic, and I run the Globalize in Ears podcast, looking at some of the big trends in the modern world. In our first episode, we're exploring research and real-life stories about women entrepreneurs. We'll look at what happens when women like Emily Lagasse start their own businesses and bump up against cultural ideas and their own self-perceptions about who can be an entrepreneur and what entrepreneurship looks like. And we'll be looking at the research and talking to experts and entrepreneurs to understand why women are less likely to start their own businesses and what we can do about that. Now, Diana, obviously, you have some personal experience this being yourself a female entrepreneur. Yeah, I do. So this is a topic that hits close to home. You know, Footnote is the first startup I've done, so it's all been new to me. But it's interesting to consider how people respond to my co-founder, who's a man, possibly differently than the way they respond to me as a woman. It was really interesting to do this podcast and kind of dig into the research and other women's stories and sort of compare that to my own experiences. And I think that's something to keep in mind throughout this whole episode. We'll be talking to individual entrepreneurs, uh, but this is a systemic issue, and it's not just a problem for an individual business owner, but for society as a whole and the economy as a whole. Yeah, I think this is an issue that the entire business community needs to be thinking about. In the U.S., just 11% of women are entrepreneurs compared to 17% of men. So think about all the great ideas and talent we're missing out on. So this gap has been shrinking, which is great, but I think there's still a lot of societal expectations about what an entrepreneur looks like, and this can make it harder for women to start businesses. Okay, how do you think that plays out in action? I think sometimes it's subtle, but it can affect how people in the startup community view you and your business and whether they take you seriously. Here's how Emily described it. You know, a lot of times when I'll meet someone out of context, you know, say at a party and they'll say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I have, a, I have my own business. And they say, oh, what do you have, like a bakery or something? <laughs> it's like they put me, it's like a lot of people who interact with women entrepreneurs or women business owners kind of put them in a box of like, you can own a hair salon, you can own a bakery, and that's about it. 
The other piece of it that's a little more pernicious is that these attitudes can really seep into your own consciousness and affect how you see your potential as an entrepreneur. And Diana, I think that was one of the most interesting things we found. Now, I can certainly imagine how sexism would play a role in creating obstacles while running a business, the barriers that you might run into. But research shows that women are just as likely as men to identify the opportunities for a business, but are then less likely to go out and start them. So the barriers to a female entrepreneur begin before she has even begun to consider herself an entrepreneur. The problem is that she may not consider herself an entrepreneur. Yeah. And self-perceptions and confidence are really a critical piece of succeeding as an entrepreneur. The researchers who did the study we mentioned earlier, which is called the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, they f- that found that women are less likely to see themselves as capable of becoming entrepreneurs. Well, it's not surprising that in countries where women don't see themselves as entrepreneurs, they're less likely to actually become entrepreneurs. So to learn about the role cultural expectations and self-perceptions play in entrepreneurship, we went to Babson College. It's a business school outside Boston that has been ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report for 22 years running. Through its Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership, Babson has been thinking carefully about how to support and encourage women to become entrepreneurs. At Babson, we spoke with Dr. Susan Duffy. She's the executive director of the center, also known as Sewell. Part of Sewell's mission is to expand our expectations about who can and should become an entrepreneur. The mission of Sewell is twofolded. It is first to educate, empower, and inspire women to fulfill their entrepreneurial potential to create social and economic impacts. And we do that through programs and events and research. We also advance gender equity as a growth strategy for all men and women, all organizations and society in general. Dr. Duffy spends a lot of time thinking about how cultural perceptions shape who we think can and cannot be an entrepreneur, and then how those perceptions affect who does become an entrepreneur. We need to begin to shift that cultural conversation and that optic of its five guys sitting around the table doing a tech venture to, you know, what else is out there? Where are the interesting women that are doing really big, smart, innovative businesses? Let's have a show about them and let's give them a nice, you know, primetime spot to show it. Um, When we have articles in the popular media or movies that portray entrepreneurs, are we seeing men and women doing these roles? Are we making a big deal about some of the kind of feminine um, launched ventures? I mean, this is one of my real concerns is that we've really narrowed what we think counts. And not only have we narrowed what we think counts, according to Dr. Duffy, but we've narrowed the focus of what the positive effects are about promoting female entrepreneurship. It's not just about helping individual women. It's also good for business as a whole. And we have a very deep um, pool of research around how those gender biases play out in organizations that really um, work against optimizing outcomes. Well, Chris, knowing that diversity is important and actually making it happen, those are really two different things. So we wanted to hear the stories of real women about some of the biases they face when they were starting their businesses. 
Again, we went to Babson and we spoke with some of the entrepreneurs who've participated in Seawell's programs. So my name is Betty Francisco and I'm the founder and CEO of Reimagine Play. So Reimagine Play is a Boston-based youth fitness uh, company and we provide fun fitness experiences for children and families. There are things that as a woman, I feel that I have to do to validate my knowledge. For example, whenever I speak to anybody about the idea, I have to start out saying, I was the former general counsel of Sports Club LA. Uh, I had an executive role, so I learned and understand health club operations, and that is my background. So I have to for at, at first set out that I have the industry knowledge before I can even talk about the idea, because you know, just being a mother or being someone that wants to start, this isn't enough. And Emily, from the beginning of the show, she encountered the exact same problem. I have run into occasionally investors or uh, other resources, sources of authority, who really put me through the ringer. You know, I think I get a lot of a lot of things that are said to me, or a lot of questions that I'm asked, or things that I'm you know, are demanded of me in terms of providing data and information or, you know, we need you to hit X, Y, Z. A lot of times I feel like those things would not be required or expected if I were a man. Now for Betty, these questions about commitment and qualifications were only heightened by the fact that she's a parent. In the corporate setting, once I became a mother, I think there's definitely perceptions about that, that maybe you're not going to work as hard or that you're not as committed. Uh, and I think as an entrepreneur, too, some people wonder, right? Oh, well, you're, you know, you did, did you do this so that you could have more free time? Or is this more of a lifestyle business? Or so I think that there's definitely um, perceptions and misperceptions that get created around being a woman, being a mother, um, and when you start a company. But it wasn't just about other people's perceptions for Betty and Emily which might be expected to be mentioned in an episode about sexism, but it was also about their own perceptions of their own abilities. Yeah, starting a business is a big plunge. And the truth is that sometimes you can be holding yourself back just as much as anyone outside of you is holding you back. Here's what Betty had to say. It's, I think, all the ways we've been conditioned, right, that we have to be a little bit more perfect than a man <laughs> to take things on. Um, and so I, I constantly go back to that because when I see myself uh, questioning my capabilities, I remember that, you know what, I'll just figure it out. <laughs> it's fine. And so, and often I think that's what my, I see my husband doing that. He started a business a few years ago and he, he didn't know anything about running a business. He just went and did it. According to Dr. Duffy, this is a common issue among women entrepreneurs. And we do know from the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor Women's Report, study after study, that globally women have a higher fear of failure when it comes to entrepreneurial ventures, and so they are less likely to start them. So building that confidence or self-efficacy is vital. And as Dr. Duffy was clear to point out, this isn't just about individual women not having self-confidence. It's about a system based around male expectations of self-confidence. So I have a position that um, women are risk rationals and males all tend to be overconfident. 
And this is anecdotally um, borne out by many people in the entrepreneurial ecosystem who see this happening. What the challenge is, is that we have come as a culture to say, this male normative is what we say is the right way to be. And Chris, there's a lot of research to back this up. In general, men tend to overestimate their performance and their skills, while women underestimate themselves when it comes to their careers. In a 2011 survey by the Institute of Leadership and Management in Britain, half of women managers reported feeling doubt about their careers, their work performance, how well they were doing in their jobs. But just less than a third of men felt the same way. And this has real harmful consequences. We hear a lot of in, the, in the media about the pay gap, and research shows that men are four times more likely to ask for a raise than women. And when women do ask, they tend to ask for less. So this phenomenon of men overestimating their capabilities and women underestimating themselves plays out all across the business world. Now, Diana, you do not need to convince me that men can be overconfident. I've seen this many, many, many times in my own life or with my friends. But what I think is interesting from an entrepreneurial standpoint is that when you assume that male overconfidence will be present in your business world, then you build a system in which those who do not have those levels of exuberant overconfidence are not well served by that ecosystem. And this is what Dr. Duffy was talking about when we asked her about some of the big ideas that Babson and Sewell are trying to pursue. The broader mission at Babson is to educate all people to create social and economic impact. And in order to be inclusive, we have to begin to look at where there is an underserved market throughout the entrepreneurial ecosystems, not just of Boston and the United States, but of the world. And women are an underserved and under-optimized element of that ecosystem. So how do we fix this? For Dr. Duffy and Sewell, it's about changing the startup ecosystem to make sure women entrepreneurs get the same support and access to resources as men. And what we did is we created an environment in our Women Innovating Now, the Win Lab, that says, okay, this is going to break the model. You are not going to come in here to the hyper shark tanky competitive environment. You are going to come into a place where you build self-efficacy by having mastery experiencing experiences, seeing role models, being able to talk to other women to keep anxiety down and having champions. But you are going to go through a rigorous eight-month program that will get you from your starting point, whether that's ideation or prototype, to launch and growth. And we will hold you accountable. We will surround you with role models, successful ones that look and sound like you. And we will open it up to all sectors so that this sector agnostic approach says, yes, your venture that is focused on something that may not be perceived as a high potential growth business is welcome here because we get that you are serving perhaps women as your target market, right? Or you're in a service business that can be a very big business. It just may not be the 10X that is the only business that's accepted, at least that, right, in typical venture accelerator. What was most powerful for Betty and Emily, who both participate in the WinLab, was that it created a network of other female entrepreneurs that they could tap into and rely on in the same way that men do without even thinking about it. So there were 20 of us, um, some of 
the women were um, as young as college age, because it's open to BAPS and uh, um, students and alum. And then there's the seats that are for the women on Maine. And the, the, we developed what we call the sisterhood. And basically what that means is these women became uh, our confidants. They were people we could go to uh, with questions, with uh, need for support. Uh, whenever we we had you know a bad day, even though I just I don't know if I could keep doing this, inevitably one or all would come and 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 be that rock and support you because oftentimes that's what you need. You just need people to hold your hand and prop you up. Ultimately, understanding or removing the barriers that keep women and other marginalized groups from becoming entrepreneurs isn't just good for individual women. It's good for the economy and society as a whole. This isn't just a good idea. This is an absolute necessity if we are going to optimize the potential of all human beings to solve the world's most pressing problems, to really create products and services for everyone, to be able to um, solve the puzzles that need solving. Okay, so we've heard about the research and we've heard other stories, but I'm curious, Diana, how does this all fit with what you've experienced in the world of entrepreneurialism? Yeah, so I think there's two things that really stood out to me and, and resonated with my own experience. One is this idea that self-perception really matters and that sometimes women might be holding themselves back or not going as big as men might be going. You know, for me, I started getting involved in what I do now by just blogging. I started my own blog and my business partner came along and he was involved in sort of thinking about some similar ideas to what I was doing, but he just had a much bigger vision. You know, let's go get a bunch of academics and researchers to write about this stuff instead of just one person at home with their computer. And I thought about it later, you know, why didn't I from the beginning maybe have more of a grand vision or a little more confidence that I could go out and do something like what I've ended up being able to do in partnership with him. Um, the other piece that really resonated with me is this idea that, you know, nowadays sexism is a lot more subtle than it used to be. You know, 50 years ago, if you were a woman trying to pitch a business, you might have to deal with harassment you might be laughed out of a room or not heard, or you might not even get a chance to pitch. So these days, it's not like doors are just getting slammed in people's faces because they're women, but there's all these really subtle things that can be going on. You know, when Emily talked about how people don't take her as seriously, um, I think for me, you know, my business partner is our CEO. So a lot of times in meetings and pitches, it makes a lot of sense for him to do most of the talking and then me to talk about the product, which is sort of my domain. But there's always that kind of question in the back of my mind, you know, if he's doing most of the talking or a lot of the questions are directed to him, would that be the same if I was a man? You know, is that just because he's our CEO or would it potentially be, is it potentially playing out differently because I'm a woman? So a lot of it isn't, is those almost questions about whether this is an issue and, and what's really happening there. Entrepreneurship is already really hard. It's a really tough journey and you've got to have a lot of faith in your business and yourself to stick it out. And I think when you 
see women like Emily and Betty who are encountering these very, sometimes very small, but subtle barriers all along the way, those really add up. Yeah, that was something that jumped out to me. At no point in talking with either Betty or Emily did I see anything that could be described as a glass ceiling, you know, a, a single impenetrable barrier that prevented women from succeeding. It was much more like at each step of the way, there was a hurdle that they had to jump over that men didn't have to. So getting capital, a little bit harder for women. Uh, having the self-confidence to pursue an idea, a little bit harder for the women. Having the networks to rely on, a little bit harder for women. And adding up, those led to a pretty large cumulative barrier uh, that we might not see if we're just looking for individual instances of you know, newsworthy sexism. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important that more women are talking about this and that you have programs like Seawell that are really trying to think carefully about the structures and change the business ecosystem as a whole. Because I think when we're dealing with issues that are a lot more subtle, they're a lot harder to tackle, right? You know, if if someone is, um, if there's an egregious case of harassment or someone just saying, well, you can't do this because you're a woman, that's very easy to call out. And I think in our day and age, most people would agree that's kind of an unacceptable thing to say. But if people are just not taking your businesses seriously or they're questioning your commitment because you're a mother, for example, that can be a lot more subtle and it's a lot harder to identify those problems and also kind of change those really subtle perceptions that people have. So it's not just one thing. It's a whole slew of problems that need to be addressed simultaneously. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about really subtle, some of these more subtle forms of sexism that we've been talking about today and all the ways that self-perception also matters, I think that's why we need, one, women talking about their experiences and sharing their experiences with each other and with men. And I think we also need organizations like Seawell that are really systematically looking at all the ways that women may not have access to the same resources and supports as men, and then trying to really change that and change the ecosystem. So it's a tough job. Yeah, it's a tough job. It won't be solved entirely today. I'd like to think that we just figured it out in 20 minutes, but we hope that having this conversation is a little bit of a start. Thanks for listening. For more on Footnote, you can check out our website at footnote1.com or follow us on Twitter at Footnote Media. You can listen to my podcast, Globalize in Ears, at globalize.fm, wherever you get podcasts. And we also want to thank Ant Food, who made the music you're listening to right now. Thanks again.